Hello, and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation. I'm your host, George Barker, and along with the Event Lab team, we'll be bringing you a regular look inside the events industry. We're going to have the latest news, interviews with events professionals, and practical advice on making a modern event. We're going to make sure that you're up to speed with all the major talking points from the UK events industry, and we can't wait. Our first episode is going to be going up soon, but first, we wanted to bring you a special recording of the talk we hosted entitled Mental Health and Wellness Within Business in the Events Industry, recorded here in the Hirespace offices. With events organisers ranking as one of the top five most stressful jobs of 2017, we sat down with four events and wellness experts to discuss actionable steps for improving mental well-being in the events industry. So I'll hand you over to Nick, our head of people operations, who led the talk. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us today to talk about practical mental health uh, steps in, in improving them in the workplace. I've um, obviously got a lot to talk about um, as you, and a lot to draw up, as you can see from my little window and pyramid behind me. Um, but I'd really like to continue the conversation that we started back in October at Event Lab, where we talked about how, I guess, the state of mental health in, in especially the events industry probably wasn't up to the level that we hoped for as event professionals and wider mental health experts. Um, before we, we dive in to the meat of the subject, I'd love to kind of nip around the room and introduce the kind of experts that I have in the room with me today. Um, so I'll start, I'll start down at this end, Mark. If you could tell us a little bit about what you, what you brought to the table, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Mark Mayer. I'm one of the directors of Boulevard Events. We're an events catering company. Um, and one of the things that I enjoyed talking about back at Event Lab was um, sort of the challenges that are in place with keeping a workforce happy. Um, and we touched on it in sort of various different ways about flexible working hours, hours about different types of training perhaps that we can implement to educate people um, and how we can bring that all together. Um, and it was nice to sort of, it'd be nice to sort of continue the conversation today with you guys. Um, yeah, so I'm Helen Moon. I'm an events and marketing director. I'm also managing director of EWL Club, but I'm co-founder and soon to be confirmed, I think, in the new year, director of operations for Eventwell, which is a new social enterprise for the events industry um, and a resource to give expert advice, knowledge, help and support to event professionals. So it's the first time the industry has ever had anything of this kind before. So it's very new, but that's basically, Mark as well, is going to be sat on a board with us. Um, that's basically what I'll be bringing to the table. Exciting, exciting. Um, I'm Nick, obviously you've all met me now, but obviously uh, Head of Operations and People at Highspace. And I guess what, what really excites me is, is being able to pull together people like you into the room to kind of continue that conversation, really drill down into the more practical side of, of mental health and what employers such as me and my team can, can do to improve it for all of our employees and I guess the wider wider industry and, and everyone that, that kind of goes to work every day at the moment and maybe doesn't have that, that opportunity to really develop their, their mental health. Um, round to you. I'm James. I'm, I suppose, found, well, founder of a company called Sanctus, which is in the mental health space it, itself. So our vision is to kind of, well, to put the world's first mental health gym on the high street. So we kind of believe that we should just treat our mental health like we do our physical health, uh, invest in it proactively to get kind of stronger mentally, but also to prevent um, 
uh, any mental health issues that we can prevent, basically. Um, currently, we work with businesses to help them talk about mental health and create a space in their business where people can talk to someone impartial, confidential, and trusted. So making it easier for people to open up to someone and actually have a conversation with someone in the workplace and, and beyond that as well. So yeah, um, not events industry specific, but work with loads of different businesses across London. So yeah, hopefully I can add my perspective. Great, um, so my name's Leila Datu. I am COO for a media company called Last Word. Um, my role there is uh, operational. It's an events company, but also publishing and growing in the digital space. Um, and I've, I've always looked at performance and operations and staff development and in the last few years it's become much more about how can you work with people's mindset, how can you, you know, as you said, how can you have a really happy workforce and I'm, through personal experience as well as having taken some time off travelling, having studied yoga and meditation, um, it's something that I've really brought back to the workplace and in the last 18 months I've been running um, mindfulness programs in the business because I did some coaching myself and I found it really transformational and it's been really interesting to see um, to see how people's awareness grows from something that they know you know mental health is is has such a long a large spectrum and many people don't think that they have any any problems and yet they're tense and they're stressed and they're yeah. you know on edge and that's that's a daily way of living and they're so used to especially in this city they're so used to that being the norm and so it's helping people unravel that and understand you know where that comes from and we, we talk a lot about the science behind it and and help people understand how it can affect them um, through every part of their life so we look at work we look at um, personal lives we look at conversations you know manager employee relationships and and it's interesting in terms of your triangle because it, it really cuts through all of that in terms of um, you know is it a lot of the things we're talking about now is senior management and how where you can start the conversation and that's something I'm really trying to work on at the moment in terms of um, helping my business as, as well as other businesses we've been asked by a few other companies you know how have you implemented this where have you started and I think that's something that's really coming up again and again because employees can feel passionate about it but how do you get that conversation started with employers or you know business leaders to really um, make an impact yeah, I guess that's the, the key thing. Um, the purpose of this discussion isn't just to have that 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 conversation and, and walk away thinking, oh, what a great conversation, what an interesting topic. It's really to try and distill some of the more the pra practical insights. Um, for me, I'd, I'd love to start before before jumping on that and just you know what surprised some of you guys about you know mental health as a as a more general subject. Like when the conversation started for me, it was around finding out that an average professional within the events industry rates their their well-being as, as only a six out of ten. And I guess that's the that's the, the catalyst for me wanting as a as a as a leader of a business to improve or take steps to improve mental health within within that. Um. Well, I think the the worrying thing, particularly for the the team at Eventwell, when we carried out the research, the most worrying thing that came out of that research was the fact that it came out the one in three event professionals will suffer from a mental health mm -hmm. episode at some point in their careers, and ten percent we're suffering right now, or have been in the last 12 months. Now that's worrying when you, you bear in mind that general figures will say that it's one in four, and um, there's a report that's just come out that says in the workplace is one in six. Um, so it's, it's, that's worrying. So that's kind of spurred us on really to kind of take an action and, and set up Eventwell as a social enterprise really more than anything else because what, what we wanted to do with Eventwell was start a campaign and, and start people talking kind of stuff and it was from doing that research and getting that information that we actually came with a decision that it was a bit 
we actually we really have to seriously do something here because you know that's that's only going to get worse particularly when you you bear in mind the mental health um, problems that are being experienced by younger people now so the new generations that are coming to businesses and stuff that are already have unprecedented levels of stress and mental health like we have never experienced before ever so it's, it's to take action now so that you know that that one in three doesn't become yeah. one in two yeah. or the fact that even worse, everybody at some point in their careers is going to suffer from mental health. Whereas if we don't put stops and actions in place now, that could be a very, very worrying statistic. Mm. I guess you've probably got something to add as well, James, going into seeing kind of startups as well, like that, yeah. that, that prevalence of, of kind of, I say, mental health in the workplace growing. Is that something you've, you've recognised? Well, I think my take on it is a little bit different. It, as like, I think it's a one-in-one one statistic already, like, cause we've all got mental health. I think that's the thing that, I think that's the part of the conversation that, that possibly needs to change the most. Like, um, the, the eye is on mental health issues because that's where we feel like the edge cases of depression, anxiety, suicide in, in some cases. Um, but everyone has mental health, like everyone's got a state of being and, and everyone probably will go through mental health issues at some point in their life. Um, you know, because things happen in life, you know, it's just the human condition. So that's the the approach that we've really tried to kind of push and, and educate people on, that mental health isn't just for people who are struggling or people who are weak. It's like we've all got mental health yeah. and it's just a completely, like, normal thing, just like we've all got physical health and that. That's a really big change in the conversation because and one of the things that ostracizes a lot of people from talking about it is because they feel like they can't relate. It's like if, you, if you've never been depressed or you know, really under, like, never been anxious or had a panic attack or whatever, how do you know? You might not be able to relate to that and you might think, oh, mental health's not for me. Yeah. But it is. You, you go through a range of emotions every day. That, that is your mental health. So I think that's a really important part of the conversation to, to date basically change this perception that mental health is, is something to be ashamed of. I really of. like that you said I like that you said that because I feel that we have this tendency as humans to want to categorise. And label. And label. Uh, yeah. and to say and you're right, one in three people have, have stated or have been diagnosed potentially with mental health. However, mm. like you say, that doesn't mean to say the other two in three don't have those same issues that they're going to struggle. Well, they've been labelled that they'll have mental health issues. So that's, that's really important. Like, if you look at this, like, physical health, it's like one in four will, whatever, hurt themselves or get... Break a bone. Yeah, break a bone. It's like we've all got... I think the language is very, very important, you know, saying things like... At the centre is like one in three will suffer from mental health kind of actually makes no sense. Hopefully I'm not one of those one in three kind of things. It doesn't make any sense. We all have mental health. One in three will struggle with a mental health issue. That's correct. So if, you, if you've ever, and a lot of us have, experienced any form of mental health issue, depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, you, you'll know that it doesn't, it can happen overnight. It can happen very quickly, but like creep up on you before you're aware of it. Yeah. It only takes a few days of perhaps not sticking to your habits that, that you know are good for your well-being or eating the right foods or doing enough exercise and all of a sudden you're in a place where you're like, well, I'm not very happy here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something to be aware of for those other two in three. If we're just saying, oh, you know, it's, it's one in three that we need to worry about, it's everyone that needs to be aware of it and everyone needs to be aware of the things that we can do to improve our overall well-being and our overall health, which is why, which is the thing that interests me in general. So my background is, I started as a sports scientist at university. 
went on to do a master's and then I came in to run my family business with my brothers and sisters. So I've always had an, a real passion for, for health and wellbeing. That's, that was where it started at university. But since then I've been sort of a guinea pig, if you like, and um, looked into sort of everything from meditation to you know, fasting to green. We were talking earlier about different cookery and yeah. stuff like that. So it is really is my passion. And, and I have tried to sort of take an objective view of the events industry and be like, and it's not just the events industry. Again, we were talking earlier, it's about, we do it all, as humans, we get a lot wrong when it comes to health. Um, and I really wanted to sort of bring what I know to at least my circle of people to say, you know, these are some of the things that you can do from a health perspective that potentially might make you like your job a bit better or not feel so stressed at work or whatever it might be. So that was my sort of initial spark to try and to, to get involved in all this in the first place. Um, it wasn't sort of any particular stat that jumped out at me, but sort of macro sort of awareness of where we're going as a race of humans and we're not getting any better. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when, when we said it affects us all. And when we talk about, I guess, physical health, we go for vaccines. You know, we, we spend time doing yoga and we, we go to the gym and we do all this uh, hopefully because it's going to be proactive you know we don't wait until we have you know really high blood pressure hopefully to to do something about this but i guess with with mental health and especially in mental health in the workplace there's this tendency to to be very reactive would you would you agree how do you how do you go into a business how, how are you in your business and, you, and you're trying to start this conversation about how we can be proactive so what, how do you convey that to, I guess, senior leaders? How do you, how do you generate buy-in from a senior leadership team to be more proactive in terms of mental health? Well, we do, it's again, I think it's really difficult because we do it on a macro, we, we do it as a society. We all, we're all take uh, conventional medicine, for example. It's all reactive. Someone develops cancerous cells, we react to the symptom and give them something that's going to cure the symptom. We don't look at the root cause and where it's coming from and well, what, is, what are you doing environmentally? What are you doing in terms of your diet that's caused that to happen? And how can we address that? It's put a plaster over it. That's the macro of what we're doing as a society. So effectively, businesses are just small economies, like they're just small societies, you know. So we're still gonna, it's a difficult issue to tackle, but you've got to look at the root cause. Again, we were talking earlier about having infrastructure that's gonna promote overall well-being and that's very difficult because everyone's different and everyone yeah. is makes themselves happy in different ways. Some people love what they're doing and they'd like to work more and actually probably working a few more hours and earn a bit more money might improve their overall well-being. Some people would like to go and do yoga at lunchtime. So I think particularly in small to medium sized businesses with, which is the challenge I've got, um, it's about working with people on an individual basis and as we've grown as a company it's become my job has, I, my workload hasn't changed, I've still got the job that I do to do, but also I've become, probably 50% of my energy is, is on how I can keep everyone happy that are, that's working for me. And it, I, don't, I don't begrudge that, I actually really enjoy it. Um, but it is hard because everyone's different. Everyone responds to different things, everyone wants different things. Um, and everyone might have a different potential mental health issue that, you, that might need addressing. So, so I guess with that, that difference in mind, how do you best communicate to all of your employees that this is, this is an issue that, or not necessarily even an issue, that this is an area of their, their, their life that you want to invest in? You know, how, do you, how do you go into a business and say to all of these people who obviously have very different perspectives and very unique perspectives, 
how do you how do you convey to them the importance of proactively managing and supporting them to manage their their mental health? I mean, James, how many businesses have you gone into to to kind of start the conversation? Um, I mean, we work with about twenty five currently. So I mean, they and they have sanctus in their office. So so they're quite blads and they're quite progressive because they pay for uh, essentially an in house therapist in many ways. Yeah, like it's like it's like billions. So um, yeah, I'd say they're fairly progressive. I, I think with all all of them. Well, there's one important thing to note is that we didn't we didn't hard sell to any of them. So none of them did we call up and say like, you need a bit of mental health in your office because no one responds well to that. Like if I was to say to you, I think you're a bit stressed, you should speak to someone. Like your claws would just go up and and we get defensive because no one likes no one like no one likes to hear that. So you got to wait you've got to wait for people to be ready. Like the individuals have to be ready. The business has has to be ready. People have got to be ready to go on that journey with you. So I think initially for us, it's always started just with probably an internal champion in the business, like okay. someone personally who's got an experience that they're, they're willing to share and they're willing to champion. And it starts with the conversation, you know, and if, obviously if that person's in a leadership position, yeah. often it's someone who's like a head of people or a founder themselves who maybe like yourself is very in touch with, with the culture. And, and usually it's them just saying, look, like this is something that I personally uh, I'm open to and I believe in and I've maybe got my own story that I'm, I've, I've shared or I'm willing to share or or they're just like I'm getting inundated with members of my team you know opening up to me and sharing things that are outside of maybe my remit and at that point that's where the conversation begins you, you but you've got to be in touch with the with your feelings basically yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're not in touch with your feelings and with the feelings of your staff you're not going to feel anything so if you never, if in one-on-ones or anything like that, you're never talking about the whole individual, and you're only talking performance or numbers, then they nev- you're never going to know how someone's feeling. Basically, so it's only by asking that question that you're going to find out if you've got not so much if you've got a problem, but if you've got something that you, you need to address. Like, how like how we do said, that, how do you sit someone down and say, "All right, this is this. We're going to talk about your." your yeah. I think you know, and I think you're so right when you say um, you have to let people come to you because I think if if you you know you can't fake that you can't pretend that you're interested in someone's no. health, mental health, or physical health. You know, we start a conversation about cooking because we all have things that we wanted to share. You know, if you were not interested in cooking at all, that conversation wouldn't have happened. So I think, um, particularly in our business, we, we started a, a mindful programme and a wellness programme. And it and the reason we invested in that, you know, we ask the staff across the business, you know, are you interested in yoga, corporate gym, uh, healthy fruit, you know, thirsty Thursday, do you want wine in the office? You know, what, what is it that you want? And the biggest thing that came out was the wellness stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we focused on, so we listened. Um, but they spoke because we asked them. Yeah. And then, but then for the first round that we did it, um, we had one director involved, a, a male director, and I shouldn't, you know, I'm not stereotyping, but I think that was really powerful that's because he came, he sat in the room, he talked about challenges that he had. Um, we're now on our third round and we, we, you know, we've got a waiting list because mm-hmm. there's only two of us that are running the course. And it's because we're open to, to doing it and because we're open and other people are open um, and then other people in the business, obviously they talk. So, you know, so-and-so knows that this male director was in the mindfulness programs and he shared. And if he mm-hmm. shared, then I can share. And all of a sudden people want to share because everybody's got something yeah. that they want to talk about. It's just having someone to listen. By so. the sounds of it, you made it okay, though. Like, you, yeah. created, yeah. you created a culture of permission. Yeah, where, absolutely. like, someone senior does it and says, like, this is me. Mm-hmm. And then it makes it okay for everyone else. Yeah. No, no one's going to bring that side of themselves to work 
if they've not been given the inv invitation like they need to know that it's okay because or else they won't feel exactly. safe exactly have you heard have of you? a camp sorry have you heard oh. of a campaign called this is me so there's a really interesting na i think it's a national campaign called this is me and it's all about having exactly what you said champions who talk about their mental health and businesses mm -hmm. can adopt it and it's a um you know you have someone in the business who's who's happy to say this is my story so you know, this this is my experience, this is what's happened to me. And by doing that and making it human and making it accessible, other people feel ready to share. And, and I'm pretty sure it's a national campaign that was created because of exactly that, that, you know, you need somebody to stand up and be the first one to say it. Yeah. And then once they do, it's a, you know, it's a domino effect. All of a sudden you've got people from you've all made, over the business. Okay. So we said a minute ago, you know, once you've, I guess what's coming out of that, that discussion mm -hmm. is that there's, there's usually one catalyst. There's usually a person that's willing to stand up, hold themselves, I guess, in front of everyone else and, and be open about it. And then slowly but surely, I mean, you mentioned you're on the third round now, and now it's you've, got, you've got a waiting list. And you start with one person in, I guess, not authority, but one person that's, that's in got, leadership. yeah, in, in, in a leadership position that's willing to share, mm. and that starts a change. And once you've started that change, I guess then, how do you, how do you start communicating that with, with the wider team? Because you're having these great one-on-one -on -one conversations, maybe you've got that internal mm. kind of champion. How do you give them a voice that, means they can interact with the wider team? How do you bring that message to the mainstream? I mean, for me, really, it's, it's great to have champions and stuff in the workplace, but for me, it's, it's, it's a very, very simple kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship with your managers and stuff as well. We talk about trust in the workplace and stuff, about managers trusting their employees. It goes the other way as well. Um, I, I worked for a place three years ago, so the last hotel that I worked at, um, my manager there was amazing, absolutely amazing. I have my issues, I've been very open about it, I have bipolar. Um, it took probably three months for me to tell my manager I had bipolar, but he'd built such a great relationship with me just by taking an interest in me and who I was. So I had monthly ones, we had monthly one-to-ones, we'd go through the KPIs and the targets, what I'd done that month, how many appointments I'd done, and all that kind of stuff that you normally talk about. But he also would spend 15, 20 minutes just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. How was you? How was hubby? Kind of stuff. What, what have you been doing outside of work? Kind of stuff. Have you got any holidays planned? Really, really getting to know us. And it was, wasn't just me. It was everybody in the team. He knew everything there was to know about us as individuals and not just employees. He would know if you weren't going for your lunch and he would make you go and have your lunch. Yeah. Kind of stuff. He knew if you were working too many, too many hours. Yeah. I'd be like, right, you need to... Tomorrow you're leaving at six. Yeah. You've done too much. It was amazing. You know, pe you know, people talk about what steps can you put in place and wellness programmes, and that's fantastic. And I and I absolutely champion that. I think they're so yeah. important. But you know, the simplest things is exactly that: making sure that people take a break at lunch. Yeah. You know, saying to your staff, "Why were you here at eight and you left at eight? Like, wh what's going on with your workload?" Because it's so easy to just leave people be mm -hmm. and not take an interest. And that, for me, is the biggest part of really knowing your people and having a people culture. Yeah. And you can't fake that. You know, you no, can pretend to care for a bit. That's the, the key. Culture, the key, the key is the culture. The key is the culture because if yeah. when you've got an environment, it's not like you're going to have, a, or maybe you would have a poster on the wall that says "We care about your health and well-being." Maybe you would. It might not be a bad idea. But the point is, the the example you made, where one of the CEOs stood up and and opened up, and mm. that was a one-off event. When new employees come into the company, perhaps the timing wasn't right. Perhaps yeah. they weren't there for that event. But when they come into the into that culture and they know that employees around them are already open and they're open to talking about these mm -hmm. things it might not be with a manager but it might it's just an idea the idea of the company that you're in a place that cares about your health and your well-being so that you can open up when things happen and then when it does happen how do you react as a company how do you react as a manager yeah. 
Yeah. Do you show that you really care? And then it and then it snowballs and it and then it snowballs into the wider framework of the team rather yeah. than just being. So those hand-to-hand -hand combat on combat on an individual basis. Every time something does come up, how do you react? How do you show that you care? Because if you just go, if you haven't got that culture, and then you go to someone's workstation, and you say, I think you should take a five-minute break. If you haven't got that culture of caring yeah. about people's well-being, how would that come across? They might think, why do you want me yeah. to go on a break? Yeah. Like, and that's so, for it doesn't cost anything. Like you can have those. That man, that it sounds like a really good manager you had. Who like he, yeah. you can ask those questions for free. Like it doesn't cost you anything yeah. to ask how someone's cost. life is going, or to say like oh, I've noticed. You know, I've noticed you've been working really late, or I've noticed you look a bit tense. Like, is there anything going on, or? you know, do you want to nip out for a walk? Like, that's so, it's free. Yeah. You don't, yeah, don't get me wrong, if you get a bit bigger, you might want to start paying for like, for yoga and wellness programs, or, you know, you might want to offer therapy sessions or have an EAP or whatever it might be. But like, before that, it's free. Yeah. It doesn't cost, it's just being a good human. It doesn't cost anything. Being a good human. It's not. Make, making people feel safe and secure, isn't it? That someone's got their back more than anything else. So when they are struggling and they need to, reach out because it's really difficult making that step is really difficult to ask for help it's hard and you know what you can do that to your manager as well right so like if you think you lead your manager struggling you you can you can ask them like it's not it doesn't have to just be a leader down thing it can be a it can be like how are you you know it can be a you can give your your manager permission to open up by sharing something with and them. sometimes you don't even have to do anything like we once we started the mindful program we had people approaching us who just wanted a chat and in the beginning because I, I run it with my hr director and in the beginning she'd say you know she'd email me and she'd say so and so wants a chat have you got time because she works part-time and i'd be like oh god what, what you know what, what what do I do? And she's like, you don't have to do anything, you just have to listen. Yeah. Because I felt kind of responsible, you know, in a, mm. I did HR before she joined, and so I've always been in a kind of a people engagement role. Mm. And I felt quite responsible that if people are coming to talk to me about things, I have to give them something back. And actually, all they wanted to do was chat. And, you know, one, one girl I took on a walk with me, we went walked around the block, and, you know, we talked about the fact that she was, you know, from Italy and she didn't have any friends here, and I suggested a few things, and a couple of the girls, you know, and I put her in touch with a few of the people in the company who are quite yeah. sociable and go out and do things. And you just realise that sometimes people just want want to talk and they want yeah they want exactly what you said that they want that space to feel safe and and to share and then once you have got that then you can start to look at actual things you can do but sometimes that's just enough yeah I think I think someone once once I was having a chat with them and they were going through quite a, quite a tough time and they just just moved house similar thing you lose that support network I think that's so important to us all um, and I was chatting to them and I was like, well, you know, you're on a meetup group, what, you, what are your interests, what are your hobbies? I'm sure there's, there's one in Southampton. Um, and, and they were like, I don't, I don't want you to solve my problem for me. Like, I don't, I'm not looking to you for a solution. I'm, I'm talking to you about why. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So is there any kind of like, I guess, more um, visible ways that you can, you can put in place communication channels in, in your businesses? Obviously, one-to-one -one communication is so important both ways. But if that manager leaves, if that manager had left, say, halfway through that journey for you, would, would the, the wider culture of the company have been able to support that, that communication, do you think? And what could it be done to allow it to do that? I think so. I think if you, you change the culture and then that, that culture is in place, where exactly what we were saying about people feeling happy in their jobs and safe and secure, that, that culture is there. Culture is very hard to change. So once you've changed it, it's yeah. very hard to change it back. Yeah, so you'll find that if the manager, because people do, people move on, team members move on and stuff, and it, it can always upset the status quo a little bit, can't it, when a new, new member comes in. Um, but yes, yeah, as long as that culture is already in place, mm -hmm. then the transitions should be smooth. And then yeah. also, yeah. if, if for example, 
yeah. exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. So it, it then becomes part of the hiring process. Yeah. It, it becomes part of that initial, like, this is something that's important to this organisation. Mm -hmm. If you want to come and work here, this is going to be something that you need to show an interest in as well. Particularly mm -hmm. if you're going to come into a management position, then you know if, if you were happy with the job that the previous manager was doing, then you mould that um, hiring process around the, the KPIs that they were set and exactly the job role that they were doing. And that's part of it. And I think that's also where you can have things like, you know, much more informal one-to-ones, like we've got a buddy system. Yeah. So when someone new joins, they get given a buddy that's nothing to do with their team, that's, you know, nothing to do with anything they do work-wise. And, so and it's kind of somebody you can moan to, mm -hmm. but that isn't in your team and isn't, you know, conflicting. And sometimes we've had feedback from that other person saying, look, I don't want to step on toes, but that person isn't happy. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 or, you know, and again, for us, it's, it's worked really well to have things like yoga and, you know, without being really a stereotypical, the guys play football. Um, and it you know, but it means that when somebody doesn't show up, like I've noticed when somebody doesn't show up to yoga two weeks in a row, I'll check on them and say, is everything okay? Or, you know, I've hurt my back, I've got, I've got this. And I think any, any kind of social interaction where people are present means that when they're not present, or it's another way of keeping an eye on people, you know, without... Yeah, I love that buddy system. Why do you think that, I guess, we're able to, to talk to someone we've just met, you know, a couple of weeks ago, if they're a buddy, versus being able to walk in and chat to the CEO who's just fear, met a couple fear, of weeks Fear of losing your job, yeah. basically, I, I think so. Like, they're not impartial. That's why, it, that's the biggest challenge, okay. single biggest challenge. Like, it's, it's not easy to open up to a colleague because you have to work with them every day. Yeah. So it's very exposing to be so vulnerable to them, and especially to your manager, because yeah. what if your manager doesn't give you the next promotion, or doesn't give you a pay rise? or brings it up in your next performance review. Like, it's, it's difficult. And to be honest, I, I don't see how that challenge is ever solved. Do you, do you think part of it as well is not just the fear of losing your job or, or not getting to the next level, but also fear of, admit, or fear of admitting to yourself that there's actually a problem? Because a lot of it, and this is something I think of as well, it's like sometimes when you're not on your A game, you're thinking, is it worth talking about or am I just having an off day? And I think well, a lot of people, and where do you draw the line between you know, I'm having an off day or an off week, and between that and then, okay, I'm, I've got an well, issue. As soon as you admit it right, and you open up, you have to actually do something about it, and it might be quite painful and uncomfortable for you, so you've got to go down that path, but it's always going to be really difficult for to encourage people to truly open up to the people they work with. Yeah, and that's, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why it's so taboo, you know, f f at work because who, who wants to be seen as weak by their colleague because you know I, I went through a major burnout at work because I took on too much but I didn't dare you know I was in a senior position I was ops director at the time we had rebrands I was doing the HR I was doing marketing but I, well, I wouldn't dare say I can't handle it because that's my job you know my yeah. job is to catch anything that's thrown at me yeah. and so I did but in the process it 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 burnt me out and at the end of it you know even when I spoke to my boss he's now he's a lot better, but at the time he was a bit like, you know, when I had time off, he said, let's tell everybody it's personal reasons. And I was like, it is personal reasons, but it's, 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 I can't cope with life reasons, you know, yeah. that's, and that's work. But I think there's such a, I had such a fear of admitting mm -hmm. that I couldn't cope. And, and, you know, my friends knew, my husband knew, my parents knew, but I would, the last place I would admit that is work because they're the ones that, you, you care what they think, you know, you, like you said, your promotion, your job's on the line. No, and then it wasn't, you know, it's not like I was in a fear culture, but you place a lot of judgment on yourself yeah. to say that that's the last place you want to be honest, but unfortunately that's probably the first place and you, you probably, should be And you probably think that you'll lose respect, that, you, yeah, you know, exactly. that people, won't, people won't give you as much work or they'll treat you differently yeah. or whatever. It's, it's, yeah. 
is extremely difficult. Yeah, and that pressure, I guess, for anyone would, would lead to burnout if you feel if you fear losing respect, if you fear that you know you're you're going to miss out on a promotion, mm -hmm. you know, all of these challenges before you can really open up. So if you're if you're kind of faced with as you as you go through your career, you're going to take on more. You're not going to be able to open up. You're going to end up with burnout. Like, is that really the workplace that we're we're promising? Like events industry and beyond. There's only so much you can blame the workplace, though. I I think that you got to you got to take ownership of your problem. I mean, like, yeah, it's not just the work. It's your it's the way that you are being that is probably choosing to yeah choosing to take on that that level of work. But don't get me wrong, there's, there's a role that the environment and the employer has to play, but at the end of the day, the only person responsible for your mental health is yourself. Yeah. Yep. So there's 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 an environment that the workplace can create, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, we've got a mental health business, right? So we talk about mental health constantly. It doesn't mean that our team's mental health is perfect. Yeah. And like, we could create the most, and I even know myself, like being the founder of a company which preaches talking about mental health all the time, like, there's still times recently where I've been closed off to stuff and I've been stressed and I've worked too long hours. Like, of course that's gonna happen. So, and I've got to take responsibility for that. You know, I can't blame, can't blame Sanctus for yeah, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, I think it has to lie with the individual. And look, it's, it's hard. Like, it's always gonna be quite hard, I think, because a lot of the time the things you're talking about are very personal, very intimate. You can, they can feel exposing. So, there's probably the need to have space outside of the workplace just as much as somewhere to share. And you mentioned a safe space, and that's always going to be so necessary. Like somewhere where you can just truly be yourself, whether that's to a partner, a friend, a therapist, a coach, whoever, yeah. someone on the internet. You know, like you, you need somewhere where you can just say, like, the stuff in your head that, like, you think is like literally mental like you need somewhere <laughs> you're sure someone else you, you need you need somewhere where you're not going to feel judged you can just say it and you know you can yeah you can be vulnerable you can say the stuff that's on your mind because if you don't have that then there's no release like it's yeah. gonna it's gonna add up and work make if you've got a really good culture it may be the right place but i think there's probably always going to be some stuff that you're not going to bring to the workplace yeah i, I completely agree with that and i think a lot of what we're going to talk about today, I imagine, is always just going to come back to that communication thing. But mm. it's it's almost you can never over communicate, yeah. and it's mm -hmm. like you. I don't know what happened with you, Layla, but I imagine that it, there was a lot of okay, this is really stressful. Okay, but I'm getting paid to do this important job. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it, and then all of a sudden it was too much. Yeah. And how many points along the way did you turn around to your manager and say? okay, that project made it a bit too hard, I struggled, like, perhaps we need to... And give them a chance to take that feedback on board and go, okay, maybe we need to adapt the job role slightly, maybe we're not giving Layla the best chance to succeed. I don't know. But yeah, it's, there it's is exactly always yeah. that, and it's, like you say, it's not always the, the employer's fault that they overwork, they overwork the employee. Sometimes it's just a case of, if they'd have known, they probably would have loved to have changed this, the environment yeah. for you. But that's where I found mindfulness, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching, but for me personally, that's where I found mindfulness so powerful, because for me even, I didn't have an awareness, so I knew I was mm. stressed out, stress, it's life, it's London. Yeah. I knew I was, you know, um, was trying to do too many things. Um, I felt responsibility to the business, I wanted to do all of that, and, and the irony is that, you know, I put, 
I was probably burnt out about a year and a half before I took the time off. Yeah. But then everything calmed down. I recruited the right people in place. I got an HR director in. I got a marketing person in. And then I took time off. And the minute, literally a week after I took time off, I went away and I got sick and I ended up in hospital. And the doctor was like, "Your adrenals are just on the floor." Because, but you know, because because I'd I'd, I'd put everything in place to support the business. But I hadn't. I, I was just so unaware of my own body, and it took for me m the biggest part of mindfulness is being aware. And I remember coming back and having a chat about my boss about running the program in the business, mm -hmm. and he was like, "What is mindfulness?" And I was trying to explain it to him, and he j he just didn't get it. And it took me saying to him, "Like, is there a time in your life when you, um, when you're just on autopilot and you're not yeah. really thinking about what you're doing?" And he and he had this kind of eureka moment when he said, you know, sometimes I look at my emails and I'm so stressed and I don't know where to start and then, I, and then I go away and I think about it and then when I come back and I just take one thing at a time, I ju I'm just much calmer and I'm much clearer and I just, for, for me, it was just kind of giving him the chance to say, that's your, that's the place in your life when you can be more mindful because once you have that awareness yeah. that there's even something wrong, most people don't even realise, no. they just go through life thinking I'm, it's normal to be stressed, yeah. it's normal to be knackered, it's normal to, you know, not stop because that's the life you know that's the world we live in yeah, and I think yeah. it's 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 only when you get out of that so it's for me it was only when I went away and I was had a different pace of life and I was constantly surrounded by people talking about food and health and yoga and you yeah. know that you kind of exactly. think actually that's normal yeah. that's that's their norm so I think for me awareness was the biggest it's, and it still is it's the biggest part you know the, the director I talked about he came to the program and he was like I don't need this and I was like yes you do yeah. you know yeah. dragon yeah. by his ear you, you come in and do this and if, now he's the first one at art you know he sits on the same bank of desks as us and he's like are you being mindful he's you know because change. yeah he's massive change because it's part of his conversation when it just wouldn't have been before and yeah, that's a really good point I think as well earlier when you, you mentioned that you know work is one part of our, our lives mindfulness yeah. is one one tool that we have in a toolbox and I know, I know work being only one part, and I know there's, there's a definite, definite, uh, I guess, responsibility on, on us as individuals to make sure we're looking after this proactively. Mm -hmm. But if we're working, if, we're, if our teams are working, you know, 10-hour days, yeah. they're spending nearly 50%, well, if you discount sleep, what little they get, over, well over 50% of their time here. Yeah. There's got to be some practical things that we can do to mean that, you know, mindfulness is present, and other tools that are in that toolbox for kind of well-being as a whole are are kind of offered in the workplace. Like for me, it was yoga. You know, we, we as a company brought in a yoga, a yoga team and the employees wanted to contribute to that. So they wanted a yoga coach to come in and work with them as a group. There wasn't any kind of, oh, I don't want other people to see me, you know, doing my yoga. Exactly, exactly. But doing it as a group and other people in varying degrees of ability and then they were going off to the park to do yoga at lunch. You know, so what other? I'd love to hear more about mindfulness. I'd love to hear about other tools that you guys have, have seen, like maybe you have in, in, in other businesses. Tools in terms of so like exercising and stuff as it well. Can, yeah, it can be just general yeah. well-being. So like, what other methods do do, do employees have? Like not necessarily to cope, yeah. but to. Um, for me, it's, it's more sending within businesses. It's more sending out that message that it's okay to do that yeah. kind of stuff. So if you want to go and do yoga at lunch, you don't have to have a yoga group yeah. in the business kind of stuff. If people want to go and do yoga at the gym, tell them it's okay if they want to go and do that. Give them an extra half an hour mm. lunch. Can I? Is it Carlos his company? Uh, yeah. They've just recently given them an extra half an hour for their yeah. lunch so that you can go to the gym <laughs> kind of stuff. I mean, what's, what's an, it's simple for me because a, a lot of the time it can be 
well, I, I want to go for a run. It can be running and stuff as well. You can go for a half hour run. All you have to do each day is 30 minutes of moderate exercise. It doesn't have to be strenuous at all. That's all you need to do. So just 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, go and have a run. But as long as you know that it's okay to do that, we're not going to possibly have colleagues going, making snide comments and yeah, jokey comments yeah, yeah. sometimes. So it's like, <laughs> you've not got anything to do. Yeah. You're not busy. Kind of stuff. So it, it's, again, it's that perception. It's that culture. You change those perceptions and those cultures and those societal kind of beliefs and you'll find that it's very, it's very simple. Things will almost naturally start to happen. I think we're all as... As individuals and as, as adults and stuff, we all know that we need to be taking better care of our bodies and our, our health and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. we've got, you know, there's obvious things like cycle to work schemes, bringing yeah. in bring in like yoga classes. Like there's obvious easy quick wins specifically on, on exercise. But how do you build a culture of, okay, yeah, half an hour extra for, for lunch? Well, Is it gym membership? You know, my husband's know. company did it very easily. They did um, a, a month it was where they had a competition. Now he works in he works in media. It's mm -hmm. a very competitive. Yeah very competitive landscape, much the same as the events industry is at time. And basically what their company did, they encouraged everybody to get trackers. For people that didn't have trackers, they gave them trackers. And they had competitions within the teams in terms mm. of who could clock up the most steps, steps um, miles and stuff. So you basically had, an, if you cycled, you clocked up your steps through cycling and stuff as so well. So making it a competition so almost. Yes, yeah. So everybody within, gonna, and it's, they do it annually. And, but what they've actually done is the cultures within those teams have changed because it's continued. So that they all do triathlons and stuff together and stuff now. It's amazing what they've managed to achieve within that company. Whereas before, they probably didn't come together so much. It's almost like they've developed a team, mm. a social kind of team element that, that do all these things. They run marathons together and half marathons and stuff. They can kind of continue. I mean, you don't have to be running marathons and half man marathons kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Because to some, some yeah. people that, sound, that probably sounds horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I think I'm yeah. always cautious to answer that question of like, what's the, what's the one thing we should do? Because it's so personal, like, mm. and, and I think often another problem is like giving other people another thing that they should be doing. You know, like, so med meditations like, is, is obviously amazing. It works for loads of people, like personally yeah. for me, this is not something I got into it for a bit at the moment. I, I kind of dip in and out of it, but I got to a period where I was like beating myself up for because I should be meditating. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like the opposite problem. Yeah. So I think every culture and every company and every leadership team and set of individuals is so mm. uniquely complex that it's a very personal thing. So what's right for the culture here at Higher Space is, is probably going to come from down from the founding team, I imagine, or or the people themselves, you ask people, like, what that's do yeah, you want? Awesome. Like, the what? one thing you can do is ask, yeah. and, and, then, yeah. and then work yeah. with the answers you get. Because I mean, also, I mean, w even with that, you're making the assumption that the, they know the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know yeah. how to make their, well, their health better. Yeah. We don't get it right as a society. So no. for, to expect individuals to know, okay, I need more vitamin B, <laughs> I'll get onto this. So. There probably are a couple of things that unanimously you cannot deny that we do wrong as a society. One of them is we don't get enough vitamin D. That is, that's a fact. And you don't get it from milk, you get it from sunlight. Yeah. The other thing is we don't move enough. So there are two things that you, you can't argue. We don't, get, we don't do it well enough in this country because the weather doesn't help. Um, but there is a simple thing you could probably do, and ironically I haven't implemented it in my own company yet, but I've sort of had thoughts towards it is making it compulsory for 
employees not to eat at their desk. They can't eat their lunch at their desk. You have to go out yeah. and sit in the yeah. sun or sit outside in the fresh air and eat your lunch. It's That's a small thing, but yeah. I think it could help because that is, there's very, like you alluded to, James, there's very few things that are sort of unanimously, you can't argue, are going to improve everyone's health. And they are two of the things that we get wrong. Um, that we can do better. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment, however, right? So imagine if your company has a kind of culture where everyone's overworked, yeah. right? And then the reason they eat lunch at their desk is because they're overworked. And then you say to everyone, guys, you've got to go outside and eat your lunch. They're going to be like, I can't fucking go outside because I'm overworked. So that's why I think the, the well, kind of just giving people a framework is really difficult because sometimes yeah. people don't fit into that framework. So well, you've got to ask the out. question first. So what happens if that happens? Let's talk it out. So you 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 say that it's compulsory for employees mm-hmm. to eat for at least 30 minutes yeah. at their desk. And then they get more stressed because they're not addressing the workload that they've got. Well, that alludes to a wider issue that the company has that they've, they've not got the workforce. Well, so then they potentially they hire. Yeah. Only if they're actually listening. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes back to the culture, I guess, of having listening and not then seeing people stay at their desks half an hour longer and just going. Oh. Companies do it all the time. They're like, they're like, oh yeah, we're giving you some beers on a Friday. We're giving. They don't want more beers. I don't want more beers. I want. I want flexible working hour. That's what I actually want. Listen to me. Yeah. You could do it all the time. I think. I think deciding like this sounds like a great idea. You know, half an hour from your desk sounds great. Like I said, if you're not, we said it earlier, if you're not addressing the root cause of the, the issue, then it's a plaster, right? Yeah. You're putting a plaster on something that's a quite a serious systemic cultural issue by saying, yeah, but don't worry, at I, I I'm going to get your the point of, I think you're pushing people further and further yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. You're in a relationship with your employees and you're not giving them what they need. Mm. You're not listening to what they want. It's like being in a really toxic relationship with a partner, like... Mm. You, you, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not. Healthy. We've, we've, yeah, we've all got yeah. friends that have said quite like you know taking your relationship point. Yeah. We've all, I'm sure, had, had points in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. she doesn't get it. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. you're constantly berating this person for just being themselves, and sometimes there's a clash. But sometimes you can also take really positive, proactive steps of communicating. Yeah. You know, doing being a bit more flexible, changing your expectations. Oh, I sorry. guess sometimes helps. You know. What am I, are my expectations of you unfair? Am I expecting too much work? Or am I expecting you to be okay 100% of the time? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. I, I mean, It's being self-aware, isn't it? It's being self-aware of yourself and it's being self-aware of others. It's being self-aware of the impact you have on other people and being self-aware of the impact other people are experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the most important thing. I think, I think there's, there's so much more, crucial. Yeah, there's so much more pressure on leaders now, I think, to be emotion, like oh, yeah. emotionally intelligent. Yeah, I think, you know, there was a time where you could go in and just do your job and get out. And I think the culture and society we live in, you know, I think it's, ve- it's very hard to be a leader and not mm. be aware of yourself because, because you, you can, but then I think you give so little to your, right. your employees. How can you expect people to believe in you and follow you and, 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 and want to work hard for you if you can't even take an interest in how they are. And I think, you know, you, the example you gave of your manager is, is so fantastic because it's so simple. Yeah. How are you? How's your family? You know, what are you up to? It doesn't, you know, and, and, and I oh, go back to saying... about him as well. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. the thing. If you're open, this is the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think you're ever going gonna to have a perfect place where no one, like you said, no one, no one ever experiences a, a dip in their health, either physical or, or mental. Exactly, exactly, it's impossible. But I guess to sum up, like, I'd love to hear kind of if there's anything particularly taken away from what you can do now, what's actionable now. We know we've got a long journey to go on to get to, you know, great workplaces, great mental health in general. What can we be doing today? For me, I guess the, the thing that, that's come out of it is this fear of judgment. Because I'm in a, a relatively senior position, 
I probably don't have that, that fear of judgment. Maybe I do, maybe I don't know, because maybe I haven't asked mm. my, my team. Um, especially, I guess, new joiners. I love the idea of a buddy system. That's definitely what I'll take away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, it's, it's, I mean, it starts right here at the bottom, kind of stuff. It's opening up, it's opening up the lines of communication as people start talking about it. But for me, fundamentally, it's about education. Mm-hmm. So it's people going away and start reading about yeah. mental health conditions, people going away and reading about simple things such as stress. So one of the things kind of that I learned recently that I thought was really interesting and never knew before, cortisol levels, for example, yeah. the hormone. Everyone calls it the stress hormone. It's actually a really vital hormone in your body. You know, so it's a steroid hormone, so it reduces inflammation. You need it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it also wakes you up in the morning. So a healthy cortisol line will have a dip in the morning where it wakes you up and then it flats off so that your brain starts to go for you to fall asleep again. And then just and after lunch? a regular lunch, line... What happens just after lunch? I'm dying to know. It, it, it peaks in the morning and then it can, kind of slowly goes down to the point that it peaks off for you to go to sleep. So after lunch, there's... Yeah. there's no. No? Um, and an irregular, an irregular cortisol level will be flat in the morning and it will peak in the evening. So one of the things I learned that was really interesting where you get people that call themselves early birds or night owls yeah. kind of stuff, you call yourself a night owl and you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning, that could actually be a key indicator that your cortisol levels are irregular and you probably need to have that checked. Have some blood tests, go and see your GP if you need to, just go and get that checked because that's a very, very early sign that you probably... You probably yeah, the really big issue we have in modern society is as humans, as animals, mm-hmm. we're in... Adrenaline is meant to be the stress hormone. Yeah. Yeah. So you come across a lion in the jungle and you, your adrenaline kicks in and you fight or flight, right? What we tend to have, and when your adrenaline runs out, that's when cortisol kicks in and takes over because it does a similar job. So mm-hmm. adrenaline only lasts for like two minutes or three minutes or something. So what we have is constant mini stresses, constant little issues that we have to deal with. So your cortisol just creeps up and up and up and we have artificial lights and we have big television pylons and we have, I'm not like calling sort of the whole world a big one, one big issue, but we've got to be aware of it, all these different st- environmental and dietary stresses that we have, um, which affect cortisol, which is what we're, we're talking about. And, and that's what affects your sleep because cortisol works in connection with melatonin, which is what, when your melatonin levels are high, you go to sleep. When your cortisol levels are high, your melatonin can't be high. They work in balance. So, yeah, sorry to give you a science lesson, but that's, that is the f- battle we face and it's so complex. Yeah. So to give people exact practical tips to take away is in some ways easy, but some ways very difficult because of subjectivity and everyone being different and everyone having slightly different exposures to that one environmental stressor and someone having an issue with that, that section of their diet. So it's all di- it's different to ev- for everyone. I think that uniqueness is key, isn't it? Is yeah. that how, do you, how do you make that relevant to the broadest subset of people, like giving people an opportunity. You're not going to get it perfect for every individual. Um, what, you, you mentioned so what worked for you, mindfulness was the, the start for yeah, you. Yeah, so we, I mean, so what we found interesting, and, and it kind of relates to everything you guys have said in terms of, so meditation, so when, when we started the mindfulness program, so w- w- when I did my own coaching program, they were very strict on, you know, you must have a meditative practice and you must have an applied practice. So meditative is obviously like meditation or yoga or whatever. Um, and your applied practice is something more practical. So we talk a lot about, you know, applied would be perhaps um, putting your phone 
um, leaving your phone and not taking it to a meeting and really mm -hmm. looking at the other person in the eye and concentrating on what they're saying or mm -hmm. um, taking you know taking an active um, pause before you react to a certain person who you know triggers you you know if it's your boss or your partner or whatever so that that's applied because it's in a certain situation you can apply practice and when, when we started this people were great at finding applied situations that they could work on but you know, whereas with my training, um, the meditative was quite heavily focused on. We, when we started rolling it out, we didn't want to do that because we didn't want to force people to go and meditate and say, you must go and meditate for... Yeah. Because, because to be honest, it's not for everybody and I struggle with it. It's taken it's, me years to... Yeah, and there are still days when I sit there and it, it just doesn't work for me. And what, we've, what I found is the game changer is to say to people, what, what do you enjoy doing? What makes you happy? And for, you know, for one girl it was colouring and for another girl it was cooking. And you know, another girl said, I c when I walk through the park I just get annoyed by all the dogs. And we were like, well then don't walk through the park mindfully, do something else. And so she started swimming. And, and, you know, and, and we, we, f we forced everybody, we, everybody's homework was go and find something that you enjoy. And when you enjoy that you're so in it that you're not thinking about everything. And that was the thing that we found really, you know, rather than saying go and meditate. For some people it is meditation and that's what they find they can switch off in, but it's it's not for everyone. But if you find that for ten minutes a day you can colour, and you can switch your brain off, that that's that's exactly the antidote your brain needs in terms of fight or flight. That's your rest and response. So that that ten minutes is when your body calms down. You know, all your glands are working properly, your intestinals are working properly. Your body's resting itself and and repairing itself. But people don't realise that. They just you know they. They just proceed, right? Yeah, yeah they just carry on, and exactly. So, so, and you can, you know, you can't, you can't have coffee and and watch TV. Well, you can, but you know, you can't have coffee and watch TV when you're colouring, or you should, you know, try and focus on that one activity. Yeah, so, great. yeah, exactly. And so we we've really found that being difficult, and it's interesting because people will come back and they'll say, I don't really feel any different, but I think I'm calmer. And we're like, do you, do you notice the correlation between? you know, playing chess yeah. for half an hour every evening and, and they don't even make the link because yeah. they're so used to so living in their heads. It's so difficult so to make people realise the positive like impact yeah. of what they're doing. Or even realise that, you know, real, it, people don't even realise that being on their phone and watching TV and trying to work on their laptop is damaging. They think that's totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. The, other, the other really interesting thing we did, sorry to go on, is um, we did a multitasking exercise and it's a really simple thing. I do it afterwards with you guys. It's, um, it's writing things down on a piece of paper and asking people to multitask and unitask and it's so interesting to see how we're so driven as a society to multitask and it's seen as such a positive thing and actually doing one thing only is so much healthier so that those are the two things I would say is, is focusing on one task and choosing something you enjoy because there's no point cooking if that's not relaxing yeah, for you. Yeah, you know, what's what's relaxing yeah. for you is is very different to what you know what's relaxing for you. So I think it's finding that one thing yeah. that you really get joy out. Speaking of that one thing, James, why don't you wrap us up with what is the one thing? Why is it why is it so important for businesses to care about mental health? Why is it so important for us to care about mental health? Like what's there? Gone are the days when you would kind of put on your work mask and go to work. Work so. You know, people say like in the past it would be kind of leave your stuff at the door, yeah. leave your personal life at home. God, that is over yeah. in the world that we, that we live in now, and and people want to bring their full self to work, and they're going to, that they do bring their full self to work, and that can either manifest in um, stressful kind of negative ways, or it can manifest in really positive, healthy workforces. So the reason, as an employer, you have to have mental health on the agenda in now yeah. or and especially in the next five years is that 
you won't recruit or retain the best talent. It's, it's that simple. And even if you do, they won't be there very long. No, because they will leave because people expect now to work somewhere that's conducive to them being their self at work. Yeah. That's what people yeah, want. Yeah, that authenticity, I think, is yeah. something I strive so for. If you don't do that, then I genuinely believe that the best people won't work for you and your business will probably die eventually. Hopefully this little session has helped us all prolong our, our businesses. Uh, thank you all for your thoughts. I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, got a lot to take away, so thank you again. Thanks very much for listening to this special introduction episode of the Event Lab podcast. Event Lab is created by Hirespace, the UK's venue finding agency. For more on Event Lab, you can go to hirespace.com forward slash Event Lab or follow us on Twitter at Event Lab underscore HQ.